Hey, I'm Brian Hyatt, and this is Rolling Stone Music Now. I have in the studio Alex Morris, Brittany Spanos, and Joe Levy. Hello, all. Hey. Hey. So, on the new cover of Rolling Stone is Camila Cabello. It is her first appearance on the cover of Rolling Stone, and Alex Morris, who's in the studio, wrote the story. What was the biggest surprise in your time with Camila? Oh, that's a good question. Um... She was just really cool to hang out with. I mean, not that that was like such a surprise, but um, I just kind of felt like I could hang out with her all the time. You know, she just sort of seems like the type of person that is very approachable. She was funny. She, uh, at one point, just we were at this Italian restaurant and she just started like eating off my plate like a friend would. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I think she's great. She's really nice. In your research for this story, what was the thing that kind of struck your curiosity the most? What did you come in wanting to know from her? Well, I really wanted to know about her background. You know, being born in Cuba, coming to the U.S. It turns out that she didn't know a whole... She didn't remember a whole lot. She was pretty young when she came to the States, uh, five or six. But she didn't remember a whole lot before that. But what she knew, uh, a lot of what she knew she had found out later from her family her family didn't talk about it much and then I guess as she was getting to be more famous people were asking her more and more and so she went to her parents and was like you know what is the story here and they told her uh, she and her mom had come over legally Um, they came from from Cuba they entered Mexico which is where her dad is from and then they crossed the border legally she's not entirely sure what kind of visa situation there was but her dad actually swam to get here and came here illegally to join the rest of the family and she didn't know that until a few years ago and a a really terrific detail in your story alex is that when she and her mom came over she was told she was going to disney world right (laughs) right right and she did about a year later (laughs) (laughs) yeah not right away but they they made it there eventually (laughs) i think everyone was wondering whether she's going to make an overt statement about her identity in the age of Trump. You know, there's a lot of implied statements in her music and her persona. And she did, as you noted in her story, she did once come out and and tweet, don't vote for Trump. So that's pretty overt. (laughs) But my guess is that you probably nudged her a bunch of times to make some grand statement and that that's not really her style. Yeah, it's not really her style. And in fact, when I talked to Frank Dukes, who was the executive producer of her album, Apparently, I mean, there's a lot of sort of Latin influence on the album, and apparently it was a real conscious decision they made to make that happen, but sort of not to comment on it. In a way, almost, I I feel like to sort of normalize it, which, you know, I I felt was actually kind of a a little bit of a subversive move for pop to, to not make a big deal out of this as if, you know, I mean, it isn't a big deal, but I think that there's the potential that a big deal could have been made of it, and that would have actually lessened the, the sort of... Impact, really. Impact yeah, of what, yeah. yeah. And, and, you know, it is a big deal and not a big deal at the same time. It's not a big deal because we're a year past Despacito. Sure. That the biggest song in the world and in this country last year, yet at the same time, no record company is sitting around saying, hey, the first solo album from this young woman who used to be in Fifth Harmony, an extremely assembled cookie-cutter pop group that's been enormously successful, let's have that be in part Spanish language, and let's have it be about 
growing up in Havana, mm-hmm. and uh, yeah, 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 let's do that. Right. You know, that that does not seem like a slam dunk, and in fact, she had to fight to do all of that. She did have to fight, and she also, well, I was, I should say, going back, one thing I, I was surprised about was that it does seem that she had quite a bit of control on this album, and going in with, to meetings with you know people she was working with she worked with Pharrell um, she works with a bunch of people but I think she would go into those meetings and people would would say hey here's what I planned for us to do today here's a song I have for you let's you know work on it and they didn't expect her to have much input and she had a lot of input she'd been songwriting for years she came in with very specific ideas of what she wanted to do and the the songs really grew out of her uh, her childhood and her experience and the music she grew up listening to in her household she's just sort of way better in a lot of ways than people expected from a, a sort of prefab girl group it, it's just her her music is really good she's yeah. really interesting she's a really distinct and interesting singer but also has made smart and sharp and specific musical choices uh, throughout her very brief soul career but let's take a step back and go into her not her her origins as a person but her origins as an artist which sort of began with fifth harmony and uh, fifth harmony was to their fans, the Harmonizers were an intensely beloved group, right, Brittany? Oh, yeah. I think people who people sort of outside of that phenomenon aren't aware of the intensity of the Harmonizer love, right? Yeah, I mean, they were basically built in the same exact way that One Direction was built, and they the way that the machine kind of like wanted to push them was as this female One Direction, as opposed to something in the vein of like, you know, kind of like Spice Girls, kind of Destiny's Child, kind of a mix of all of them, but they wanted to really hone in on their internet fame and they wanted to hone in on their social media status. And that really, really worked for them because the fans are really intense for Fifth Harmony, especially with kind of picking each of the girls. And I think Camila struggled a lot with after she left Fifth Harmony and even when she was starting to do solo material in Fifth Harmony that they kind of decided that she was going against everything they stood for and she got a lot of hate you from don't go against <laughs> yeah. the harmony i'm sorry they, they stood for what exactly i mean everything that like the, the idea of family the idea of the group being together i mean she was always pursuing her own projects right. outside well, but but let's just yeah. establish that these are ideas yes like these are real ideas they're the female one direction because they emerge out of the u.s version of mm-hmm. x factor one direction the uk version of x factor yeah. and exactly the same process mm-hmm. which, Simon Cowell, yeah. which which is to say for those who were not tuning in and <laughs> i think with the u.s x factor that's most of us uh <laughs> they were would be solo performers mm-hmm. who were put together by Simon Cowell into a group and and the the interesting thing about X Factor is that it foregrounds the commercial process in a way that like the voice or even American Mm -hmm. Idol at this point doesn't it has a guy sitting there saying I think if we put them together we can sell records. (laughs) And they would have all gone. I mean, they were all headed home. Yeah. They were sort of pulled back from the brink. Exactly what happened with with One Direction. Exactly. But they had hits. And I think for people who weren't watching X Factor, it did seem sort of like they came from nowhere. It was a little confusing if you you hadn't followed that backstory. And there's also something perhaps, to me, amusing about Fifth Harmony. Like, they seemed... 
there's always something like a little silly about many yeah. of their lyrics. There's something like slightly artificial about them, which is I think one of the reasons I think people enjoy that campiness about mm-hmm. them. But that's one of the other reasons it's so interesting how sort of not campy and not ridiculous her solo career are. But I mean, let's hear the beginning of, of Work From Home, which is a the I think greatest song of all the, time. Which is my favorite. <laughs> by, but the greatest I, song I, ever I really made. Like, we'll hear the beginning. <laughs> Best music video. Because the beginning actually is Camilla, so it's important that we actually start at the beginning. And you'll see she's doing a little bit of a persona that doesn't really sound like what she sounds like on her soul record. So let's hear that now. I worry about nothing. I am wearing a nada. I'm sitting pretty impatient, but I know you gotta put in them hours. I'ma make it harder. I'm sending pick up to picture. I'ma get you fired. I know you're always on the night shift, but I can't stand. So there we have it, and that that was their biggest hit, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, and I think the thing with Fifth Harmony, and what was what's funny about the way that that they were built in the vein of One Direction is that they never really they never hit number one. They weren't selling the way that um, pop groups that they were all modeled after were selling in the early two thousands. They weren't making these huge you know millions of albums being sold a week. Also, a product of streaming age and things like that. Like they were never really breaking in a way that I think everyone hoped that this would bring this like new age of pop groups to yeah. the US especially. And I mean I think that's what was made Camila's rise even better was that she hit number one with like with a single that she was super proud of that represented her roots that was all her own. And I think that's what's fascinating about this sort of dichotomy between Camila as a solo artist versus her pop group. Absolutely. And it occurs to me that part of maybe what I personally found slightly amusing about Fifth Harmony was the fact of their non-superstar success. Like they sort Mm -hmm. of comported themselves as a group who assumed they were going to be the biggest group in the world and never quite happened. There's just something. Anyway, speaking of funny, let's play the song Sledgehammer by Fifth Harmony. Also great. Which, which is also I, I think is hilariously terrible, but 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 we can have a <laughs> we we can have a difference of opinion about that. How do you feel about Sledgehammer? I, I think the harmonizers need to get it. What's your Twitter handle, yeah, Brian? Yeah. <laughs> Listen, I haven't had pop stand abuse in a while. I can I can take it. Okay, we get it. And, <laughs> and now, I, I think the most, the best critique of uh, Fifth Harmony was by a, a brilliant a young comedian named Emmy Blotnick, who did a very memorable bit on Late Show with Stephen Colbert, where she actually went on about Fifth Harmony for, I swear, like five minutes. But we'll, we'll only play just a little bit of that. Let's hear what she had to say about Sledgehammer. But my favorite Fifth Harmony song is a little bit of a deeper cut. It's called Sledgehammer. It's easily the second best song called Sledgehammer. That's the one. <laughs> it goes, uh, if you could take my pulse right now, it would feel just like a sledgehammer. It makes no sense. I mean, I'm not in construction, but a sledgehammer seems like the kind of thing you only swing once, right? I watched the music video. Even the hot guy in the video only swings the sledgehammer once. So if your pulse is like a sledgehammer, you're dead. It gets worse, though. I realized they meant jackhammer. They meant jackhammer. But no one in their lives does manual labor. So they're all just out there in booty shorts singing about the wrong tool. So, 
we did this whole show just as an excuse to play that. Uh, again, that was Emmy Blotnick, who I guess now is a writer on, on Late Show with, with Stephen Colbert. Yeah, and, and just in defense of that song, which is hardly the best Fifth Harmony song, because I'm going to fight Britney later, I, I think <laughs> Worth It is the one that I'm going to go with. Really? I like it. Work from home. Okay. <laughs> if you could feel my heart beat through my chest, it would hit you like a sledgehammer. Now, in that particular isolated moment of the song that lyric does make sense that works but there's more and that's the problem but <laughs> the song does go on that, that is a problem that the song goes on from there i agree <laughs> that is my problem with the song is that it goes on from there in any way but anyway she did not last in this group and it was messy because she basically she did a, a thing where she basically just went ahead and started her solo career mm-hmm. while still in the group which is interesting i mean she just sort of just went ahead and, and did it right yeah how did it start what were the first uh, the things there, there were there was obviously the machine gun kelly well there thing. was the sean mendes song first right. yeah. that she did yeah and that was sort of that was at a really good time with sean had the success with stitches and so he was already a really big name and then her and Sean teamed up, I think, about a year before ever, before the Machine Gun Kelly song, I want to say. Um, so that was kind of the beginning of it. Like, she was already kind of working on stuff. And, and just to be clear, in that say. Machine Gun Kelly song, she is the only interesting part of that yeah. song. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, you know, that, that song is about, you know, you make me want to do bad things. Yeah. And it's the most memorable part is her, her saying that. Yeah. Like, her confessing in that way. It's a powerful moment in that song. But, mm-hmm. Brian, when you say this is messy... This is like super crazy messy. Like people have left. Again, it's the One Direction story. Yeah, somebody yeah. leaves the group. He just he's like, I can't take it anymore. Too it's, many, too many sold out dates at stadiums around the world. Too much money. I need to go home. Yeah, it's the exact same sort of progression where there were some canceled concert dates. There was some like, I'm just going to take a quick break, and then there's a a Facebook post or so, type some type Twitter. of social media. Yeah. This one, yeah. So, long Al- Alex, in your story, it, it says that the group announced that she was no longer in the group, but they didn't tell her that they were going to announce that, right? Yeah. But, I mean, she found out pretty quickly thereafter. Did she mean to be leaving the group, or was she hoping... That's what I'm a little unclear on. So, that's what the world is unclear on. Yeah. But, I mean, I think... Okay. If I had to read between but then, the lines... But then, I, read between the yeah. lines. You don't have to read between <laughs> the lines on this stuff because, like, then they go on the MTV well, there we go, v- yeah. Video Music right. Awards and they, they do this stunt where there are five five bodies emerge on stage and one of them is ejected off of the riser. Mm-hmm. They should have done, done another reality TV show to fill the fifth spot. That like, that still could happen. And, yeah. and sadly, they, they did go on for a while without her. And now... They're on a hiatus. Yeah, it's not going well. Mm-hmm. So that that's sad. Because I, I, I really like the idea of them continuing as Fifth Harmony with only four members. <laughs> it was, there was just something so delicious about that. Anyway, you are listening to Rolling Stone Music Now. We're talking about Camila Cabello. And we'll be right back with a whole lot more. We were talking about how she sort of... She just sort of went ahead and began her solo career while still in the band. Why did she do it that way? Why do we think she did it that way? I think the band was getting bigger and bigger. I mean, she left at kind of the height of their popularity. You know, okay. people are being like, "You're cra- this is, you don't know what's going to happen with the solo career. This Things are going really well now, you know. They started out touring, doing mall tours, and they were, you know, doing arenas. But, but also, Alex, as you explain, from age 16 or so she's writing songs and she's in this pop group that is heavily heavily engineered and heavily a and r'd uh, they're on epic records 
Uh, also, Simon Cowell's label through Epic Records, the amusingly named Psycho, Psycho Records, which doesn't really say, hey, do you guys have any idea? It, you know, like, what would you like to sing about, young ladies? It says, hey, here are some songs that we got from producers. You guys haven't had a hit yet, so these aren't the best songs you can find out there. This is just what you're going to do. And by the way, when you're done with it, then you're going to re-record it in Spanish. And that's the first Fifth Harmony EP right there. And, and, and how awesome is that? Does that sound like you know what you want when you dream of being an artist? For the other four members, maybe. But yes, yeah. not, not for her, apparently. And When the group first got put together, she was really excited because she was a big mm -hmm. One Direction fan. And so she knew the yeah. backstory. She knew how this could go. And didn't have any, I really didn't get any sense that there was like a diva wish to be a solo star, that she was just happy to be doing music yeah. at that point. But at the same time, you talk about her sort of in her bathroom with garage band yeah. kind of writing. Yeah. Know? I mean, she'd be on tour, she'd be in these hotel bathrooms where she could sort of, you know, she'd turn the TV up, up really high in the bedroom and sort of go in the bathroom and close the door. She didn't want anyone to hear her. Um, and she'd be just borrowing melodies from online and writing lyrics to them and trying to create her own music. At the same time, I have to I have to admit a tiny bit of cynicism, just to in inject a tiny bit of cynicism, because the narrative really is that, you know, brilliant young artist breaks out from girl group and starts writing her own music that's more... That's all true, but a lot of these songs still have... 10 writing credits you know what I mean like right. like we should just sure. we should just add a note of realism here you know like yeah but, but, is, but they might have 10 writing credits but we have reason to believe that the one that belongs to her is legit yeah Ed, yeah. Ed, Ed Sheeran who wrote for this record and whose cut isn't on this record has said yeah I gave her a song and she rewrote 90% of the lyrics until they were hers yeah I think it's also important to point out I think that, both are true, yeah. that she was doing this when she was 16 mm -hmm. I mean if 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 any of our 16 year old writing was you know out there in the world we would be mortified you know you it's a process I, mean, I think she was learning how to songwrite, and I think that and she even told me that when she really started writing for her solo album in earnest in January of I guess it would have been 2017 mm -hmm. she spent many months writing songs that she felt like were her and then a matter of weeks later they wouldn't feel like her anymore you know it's it's really a process of sort of finding your voice while you're still growing up yeah and i think something to kind of add about the idea of her going solo and her motivation for it is that she did audition to be a solo artist they all did and i think the entire group was sort of mulling over different solo projects while they were in the group and i think it's always been sort of like the one big criticism of fifth harmony from a lot of their fans even as they were so disconnected they were never wearing like matching outfits they were never doing the whole like spice girls like destiny's child sort of like they never looked cohesive because they all had very different identities as artists and as girls and as you know people who wanted to be in the business and they were all put together by someone else and i think they made it work for a really long time but you know one of the girls like lauren was starting to work on solo stuff even before, even after Camila left and before Fifth Harmony, Fifth Harmony went on hiatus. She released a song with Halsey. She released a song with Marshmallow. Um, Normani was working on stuff. They were all kind of already exploring other things, and I think that is something that Camila has also tried to make clear: is that like she wasn't the only one mm -hmm. working on other stuff. I think her stuff just got bigger. 
Brittany did an earlier, our first feature in Rolling Stone on, on Camille Cabello. And one of the things you, you talked about is how she had a, a different concept for this album, like a sort of darker, like crying mm-hmm. the club kind of thing. And that she's evolving so fast that that whole thing, she announced that version of the album and then that never came out. What do you remember about, about that whole thing? Yeah, the original title was The Hurting, The Healing, and The Loving, which I'm <laughs> very glad she changed. Yeah. And she released Crying in the Club, which was actually a really good song and it sampled what? Genie in a Bottle. Oh. I liked it. And I Have Questions, which was, was I did not Sia enjoy. Song, right? Yes. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Sia co-wrote it. I thought it was kind of a, a nice sort of fun pop song. I It didn't really go anywhere and I think and you know it doesn't sound like her from what we know of the record now it doesn't sound like her song right like her approach so is different. much more minimal much more stripped down much more focused on her yeah, yeah. and crying in the club <clears throat> sounds like, like some some girl singing a sea song. any pop star could right. have sung that song and let's hear that generic but kind of good song <laughs> <laughs> you think you without him you know that's a lie that you tell yourself. You fear that you lay alone now. And for me, where it really does get interesting is where she's like, you know what? I <laughs> I announced this terrible title and I came out with a single, but I'm actually going to change directions mid course. Yeah. I mean, something that we talked about was the idea that she was kind of just putting stuff out there to see what people would respond to. And I think a lot of that more kind of emo stuff came from her music taste. Like, she loves a lot of early 2000s emo music. She's like a dashboard fan. She likes like these like, you know, kind of weird sort of singer songwritery like alt songs. And so I think she saw herself as translating that to pop music and you can kind of hear that in the early songs. But it's funny to think of like when she dropped Havana, she also dropped what's the song OMG with Quavo that came out the same day and they were both so different and it's nice to see that Havana the one that related to her identity the most and the one that she was proudest of was the one that kind of helped spearhead what direction she would go into and the one that she fought for yeah I mean, yeah they did not want to release that as a single i mean yeah. havana is just a great song and you, you kind of got into the making of that what did you learn about it yeah so she came in uh it was one of i think one of her first meetings with frank dukes uh and they um he was playing playing her some beats and one of them just sort of resonated with it was only at the title that she had but she had come up with a list of potential song names and um as soon as he played the beat she was like that's Havana uh and then they wrote the first 15 seconds of the song and then um and then couldn't get past that for and then a the, long time. And then the other eight songwriters came in. Yes, and then yeah. the other eight yeah, songwriters yeah. came in. And she said it was really Pharrell who was who was the breakthrough that once they met. Sure. Brian, you I'm and I are going to have a serious I fight no, when this is I, over, but man. But I have no problem with the eight songwriters. I have I really no problem don't. with the eight songwriters, yeah. but I keep mentioning it in a mocking yeah. tone no, because no, it's no, the way no, that no, modern no, pop no, music I, is I have, produced. I, I and I'm over here thinking, give me some Father John Misty. What's with you, man? What is with you? Sometimes Father John Misty is one of the eight, depending on which album we're talking about. I have absolutely, for the record, I have absolutely no problem. You can have as many songwriters as you want. I, I think the only thing is, I think there's a a slight over-presentation of her as a singer-songwriter is my only thing. That That's all. But I don't yeah, actually yeah. think that's true, and I've already said, yeah. that, like, and I'm going to fight you again, because this is, this is, as opposed to a Fifth Harmony record, Frank Dukes is the through line on this record. Every, he's on, he produces on every cut but one. An interesting guy, not a huge name producer at the moment that this stuff is being put together. So sticking with that guy is an act of faith. Uh, And also, like, 
listen to this record. Listen to the sappy pop song, the sappy love song, the piano ballad that begins body issues. Mm -hmm. You know, like, I've got body issues, I've got personality issues. Like, that is some serious stuff in the middle of this pop music context. And there might be eight songwriters on Havana. But it is still like this Latin-tinged song For sure. with a very clear salsa, Cuban, Afro-Cuban opening to it. You're leading me right to what I wanted to play is actually from an NYU class. It's a drummer and NYU professor of percussion, which I think is the greatest title ever. I think his name is uh, Daphnis Prito. And he uh, demonstrates the clave rhythm and how the piano is such a key part of it. And uh, clave is obviously the core rhythm of Afro-Cuban music. And, uh, you know, it actually, you could write a textbook about what it's done for, you know, sort of popular music. But let, let's hear this little demonstration and then we'll hear Havana maybe. Uh, the basic tumbao is basically uh, made by three chords. This is the basic tumbao of it. Two minor chords and one major chord at the end of it. Okay? Uh, they say that you play, let's play the clave, the, the, the two, three clave, right? You ready? One, two, three, four. Mm. Maybe we can just go straight into Havana and just see kind of how, how deep it, its roots go, which I, I think is just the coolest thing. Let's hear that. I truly don't care how many people wrote that song for the record. It's amazing. <laughs> um, and I, do we think that Young Thug actually, I go back and forth. Sometimes I wonder whether Young Thug actually really adds that much to the song. What do we think? I can take it or leave it yeah. with his verse. <laughs> I like it. I, I, she, so I asked her about East Atlanta. Yeah. Like where where that like where that came from, and she said that it just rhymed well, <laughs> but then it helped. But then it helps them get Young Thug. What about that song? Besides just being awesome, wh what connected? Because I mean, I thought it was really interesting that she was told the tempo's wrong. Yeah, they were. She was told that it would never play on the radio. That it was a mid-tempo song. Yeah, that it was going to fail. Destined yeah, radio. Fail. Ra the, the the accepted wisdom is that radio doesn't like ballads really doesn't like ballads. And and this is a case where it is probably true that streaming numbers forced radio programmers uh, to to do things they might not have done otherwise. But uh, uh, terrestrial radio supposedly does not like ballads, and you still need it to become a ubiquitous force. But if we look at that song's success, what are people connecting to in it? I mean, I think it's really just very clear that we're, get, we're meeting this artist for the first time with that song. I think everyone was waiting for that Camila song that broke through and sounded like her when everything else sounded like her heroes and sounded like everything else on radio and sounded like the artist that she was working with. Whereas this song was very clearly like Camila and her voice and her story and her writing and everything was there. And it just, it clicked. Like, I think that 
there's so many elements of it. It's just like a really kind of fun, beautiful, romantic narrative story. I think it's a beat that you're not hearing so much on radio, that you're not hearing so much from other pop artists. Um, and also just kind of nice to hear a Latin pop song from a Latin artist. But just to nerd out in a, in a different direction for a second and to go back to that, what Jelly Roll Morton called the, the Spanish tinge, that Afro-Cuban influence that is, according to Jelly Roll Morton and others, at the heart, the syncopation at the heart of the birth of jazz and that passes through popular music in various ways. You can find it in old Drifters hits. You can find it right now in the Cardi B song that's happening, right? That That's based on that boogaloo, I like it, mm-hmm. right? Which represents an Afro-Cuban domination of the piano, this Afro-Cuban reverse colonization of a European instrument, right? And, And this is significant. This has significance today. We are living in a freaking New York where a guy curses someone out for speaking Spanish. Caught on video, a lawyer cursing out people working in a restaurant for speaking Spanish. Get out of my country, speak English. That is the context. That's the cultural context in which this, as I say, Afro-Cuban reverse colonization of European melody and European instrumentation is unfolding. And that is powerful. And and Dukes was telling me that she they were really trying to come up with a song that only she could sing. It was mm-hmm. sort of a career defined that you know it, it would it sort of introduced her to the world as like this is what Camila Cabello is, and that this when once they hit on the song, it was clear to them that that could this song could be that. And a really amazing thing about her and about this record is that you go from a song that only she can sing to a song like Never Be the Same, which is a song that anyone can sing it is a mm-hmm. big power ballad yeah, and, and yet uh, she does strange things to it i was saying i, I hear a little evanescence in there uh britney says that's not the kind of sort of alt stuff that she <laughs> likes i still hear evanescence in it i don't care you don't necessarily hear that in that song though right no no, no. i mean other than the really kind of non-melodic J- jimmy world stuff maybe <laughs> that but let's hear never be the same All in my veins Feeling all the highs Feel all the pain And there's a lot of stuff going on in this song There's a lot of vocal styles she does There's a lot of cool sort of Def Leppard Drum fill thing there's going on Heroine Yeah <laughs> right, The early contender for best pronunciation of a word In 2018 <laughs> But, I mean, the drug references for Joe is convinced that, and I, I think rightly, that they hit the young listeners differently than they might other people, given the, the way things are in this country. Yeah, right? the idea of, of love as addiction is one of the oldest tropes in pop music. And if it doesn't go back to, I've got you under my skin, hello, Cole Porter, it, it's as old as rock and roll itself. Except this is an age-old trope in popular music, um, and yet two things. Uh, first, this is unfolding at a very different time and at a time in which the idea of overdose and addiction touches more people's lives, more families' lives than ever before. And second, a lot of those songs, like Love is the Drug is a Roxy Music song. It doesn't say love is heroin. It doesn't say love is nicotine, opium, heroin. It doesn't mention the drugs by name. It's just freaking weird that she does that and gets it out on the radio, in the public, in the pop mainstream right now. 
then there's also there's various versions of it there's a there's a remix of it with the country singer kane brown and that seems to kind of emphasize the drug part of it which is interesting well, I, I mean, I think if you listen to the song, it is true that, that those lyrics pop out more in that version. It's a very canny move. Uh, Kane Brown is a young country singer with a huge social presence uh, on Sony Nashville. He's part of a, an initiative there uh, started by the new president, Randy Goodman, whose first signing was Marin Morris. Uh, and Kane Brown gets on this song and all of a sudden Camila finds herself not just on Spotify's pop playlist but on the Hot Country Songs playlist which it was earlier this week when I looked it up so I could listen to it and prepare to get all excited about it here uh, and this is what's happening right now with a lot of different artists BB Rex on Florida Georgia Line Marin Morris and Zed you're seeing this pop country cross-pollination but this is probably the most interesting version of it and the one where it feels like the most is emotionally and culturally at stake. People were mocking Bibi Rexa because she kind of implied that she invented the genre of country music in the course of this, but that's a whole other story. But let, let's hear the Kane Brown remix of, of this song if we can. Do we have that? Yeah. Yeah, so that part is definitely more striking when you have them doing that together. It, it, you, you do Harmonizing kind of, on the word morphine? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, I mean, it's weird, too, for, to be sure. But what do you like about this song, Bernie? It's kind of just like weirdly slow. I think the first time I heard it, it was such a jolt after a lot of her like other songs that she had released last year other than I Have Questions, which was like really slow. But um, it was interesting when I saw her for Jingle Ball. It was this moment in the show for her to show off her guitar skills, which is something that I think she's like trying to do a lot more is she's getting, you know, playing live more and performing. Um, so I thought that was really funny. It was like she kind of wants to not only she wants to be Taylor Swift, like she wants to do this sort of same thing that a lot of her her hero Taylor Swift would do, which is have this balance of a really great pop show with her showing off her skills as, as a musician and as a guitarist in particular. So. Yeah, it's kind of nice to see that. You know, one of the things to draw back again as we conclude, uh, Alex, from your story, one of the things that you really get a sense of is this is someone who's going to be one of the sort of emblematic pop stars of her generation. It's pretty clear. Like, she is a superstar in the making, if not close to already made, right? Yeah, I think for sure. I mean... um, it's what's the next generation after the millennium? Generation Z. <laughs> generation Z. Yeah, the, there. This is. I think she's gonna be their their leading female pop star, probably. She's opening for Taylor, right? On this yeah. t- on this tour, and that must be an interesting. I mean, that, that's yeah, it's a, her, Charlie XCX, and Taylor all together. Yeah. I mean, Camila's like really on the rise. Like that's that's a that's a, a bigger opening act than 
I remember Taylor having before, like someone who's who's yeah. who has who's that much. Yeah, not writing. necessarily when they came up with the plan. Exactly. Right? Yeah. But yeah. but no, Taylor's thing is to create this sort of dream of what pop music can be with the openers. Mm-hmm. Charlie XCX is on this one. Yeah. Hi, M. That dream didn't work out so well uh, last time out. Uh, she's had Sean Mendez on tour, but again before yeah. that was his like major breakthrough. There's like Vance Joy, I think, on the last tour. But you know. Taylor has been very embracing of her. It's not like she's, you know, threatened by her. Uh, her yeah, they go right way, yeah. way, way back. I mean, and yeah. Alice's story, she had a great sort of moment of the meeting. Yeah, I mean, Camila was a huge fan. Um, they met after an awards show, um, but kind of, kind of because Camila was fangirling uh, on Taylor and um, and actually. Uh, asked her in this very initial meeting, you know, what do you do if you get writer's block? And Taylor said, you just keep writing till you get past it. And um, and then later through a mutual friend, they, they uh, Camila was going through a breakup. And so, you know, I think that was like catnip to <laughs> Taylor. She's like, come over, we'll have a girl's night. Uh, we'll hang out. And they became friends and now, yeah, they're touring together. Mm-hmm. And in the minute or so we have left, what's the what's sort of the next mountain for Camilla to climb? What do you think? Where, where does she have to go next, or where should she, where should she go next? I mean, I guess it's just a matter of can she keep the momentum going as it always is after a debut album. And I think that you know, going back to like a lot of our songwriting conversation from earlier, I think that is what's most important to her is proving that. And so I feel like, and especially you know, playing the guitar live, I think that she is probably going to keep going in that direction. It's the next song and and it's it's you know it's the continual rollout of this person as a pop star and until you know first she only needs the one name mm-hmm. doesn't need her last name anymore and and second until we know exactly what one of her songs is what it sounds like and I think that part we're already there on and and that's pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. and and the album is really good really consistent and there's more hits on it so that's uh, that's all you need so this has been rolling stone music now uh, i had Brittany spanos and alex morris who wrote our new cover story on camilo cabello and that's what we've been talking about and we had joe levy as well thanks everyone and we will be back next week here on volume channel 106 on sirius xm and in the meantime we're a podcast download us as a podcast subscribe to us as a podcast wherever you get your podcast maybe leave us a nice review on itunes i read them all even the mean crazy ones and as always thanks for listening and we will see you next week